Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night, good day, good to see you. Thank you for coming back for another episode of the Cozy Corner of Cinema. I just woke up, have my coffee right here, man, and we're ready to talk. I hope you're all doing well, keeping up with your art. I hope you're using your time wisely, not wasting it on um, pointless conversations, interactions. Hope you uh, uh, can look back on your week and go, a lot was accomplished. And speaking for myself, the only person that I can, I can tell you that it was a very accomplished week. I'm about halfway through this book I picked up. I like to read a lot. I just finished a couple books, and I'm on this one now. Written by a man, Charles Elton. It's uh, a book all about the production and aftermath of Heaven's Gate, directed by Michael Cimino. Michael Cimino most famously directed The Deer Hunter in 1978, I believe is when it came out, and... This book chronicles his rise to power, the success of the deer hunter, and the um, nightmarish production of the deer hunter and the fallout, the career downfall. Presumably, I'm only halfway through the book now, man, but I tell you, this book is fantastic. This is a book that I cannot put down. Um... My, I, didn't, I didn't realize just how uh, um, enigmatic Michael Cimino was. I mean, um, he is such an interesting guy. He's a guy with a vision, a very specific vision, but oftentimes is unaware of how to um, utilize that to um, a mutual uh, outcome, I guess would be the word. Because they talk about... They talk about the, uh, the 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 hellish production of the deer hunter and the budget inflation and the problems and the difficulties that um, Chimino, uh, how, how, how difficult he was and his um, producer slash girlfriend, Joan Corelli. Uh, and, but it, it, it surprisingly obviously paid off, you know, the deer hunter wins best picture. It wins, um, I believe it was nominated man for, for nine Academy Awards and won five, I believe best picture. Um, I think he won best director, man. Uh, I think, uh, uh um, best cinematography. Um, it doesn't matter. Anyways, um, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting to read about this because for all intents and purposes, man, um, the, the amount of, of, of free reign he was given, um, uh, with the deer hunter being kind of a miracle that it is that it came out being one of the best films of the seventies and one of the best war films, really it's one of the best films period, man. I, I mean, the deer hunter is a masterpiece. Um, I mean, go goes without saying, you know, and it's, and it's interesting how he'd only had one real film under his belt, which was um, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with Clint Eastwood and um, 
Jeff Bridges, but that film is more of a Clint Eastwood vehicle where Chimino was hired for that. And Thunderbolt and Lightful, um, <laughs> dude, I just woke up, man. Give me a second. Be, be, uh, be a little forgiving on me this morning. Um, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot is a real solid film. I'm a big fan of that film, man. Um, and uh, it's just it's funny how you can look at uh, you can look at Kubrick, man. And um, uh, I mean, I don't know really the specifics on each film and that, but how much he was able to get away with, and you know, Kubrick's just one of the great artists of mankind, man. So it's like the you know, uh, but he as he has all this. I mean, his resume, man, is stacked. He has all this work under his belt that are not just great films, man, but are masterpieces, are some of the greatest pieces of art of all time, um, even up to his final film, Eyes Wide Shut, which I'm adamant is one of the best films of all time, man, and I will, I mean, that's a stance I'm fully willing to uh, put my foot down on, I, that's an undeniable masterpiece if you ask me, it's like doubting whether 2001's a masterpiece, you know, it's like you'd be crazy not to think it, but I understand different reactions, man, I'm just going from my own point of view, but anyways, man, it's just crazy how much, uh, how you, uh, you know, they talk about the relationship with United Artists and um, uh, them putting a lot of faith into Chimino because of the um, falling out that the studio was having and they needed something, a big thing like Deer Hunter. And, and man, I might, I'm going to probably come back to this book when I finished it because I'm only halfway through. Right now I'm at the point, man, where production is starting on the Deer Hunter and there's already problems. I mean... Uh, uh, the, the, the budget is already way overblown. It's not, I'm sorry, it's not way overblown, but they are giving more money to him in hopes that, um, he's not going to overspend their budget, which there's a great line in the book. One of the former United Artists, um, uh, executives, I believe. I don't know if he was an executive or he was one of the head guys there, maybe both, but he says that, uh, something along the lines of in the rare case we gave him, we were worried that he was going to use all our money. So we gave him more money or something along those lines. Um, this is, uh, this is such a great book, man. I, I, I'm only halfway through. You have to pick this up, man. This is absolutely phenomenal. And, um, um, the last book I had just finished, I was kind of, I was a little bummed out, man. I'm not going to say what book it was, but I was, it, it was the last, um, book I read, which was a history and, um, it started off great and it just kind of petered out. And by the end I was like, man, I really didn't like that. Um, but this was totally so refreshing and it wasn't even the book I was originally going to the store for, man. I was going to actually read, um, shooting midnight cowboy. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that man, but, um, they didn't have it. So I got this instead and, uh, boy, Boy, this is such an interesting view to such an interesting guy, and I'm definitely going to talk more about this when I finish it up, man. But Chimino, The Deer Hunter, Heaven's Gate, and The Price of a Vision, written by Charles Elton. Uh, this is a phenomenal read, man. This is this is what this is what uh, great uh, doomed tales are made of, man. And R.I.P. Mike Chimino. He's been dead for a couple years, I believe. Yeah, Joan Corelli might still be alive. I'm pretty sure they interview her in the book. But I, don't, I think the, I don't even know when the book came out. It must have just come out. So, anyways, man, let me get another sip of coffee, man. We're gonna talk about some movies. All right, we're gonna talk about some good movies today. We're gonna talk about the newest releasing, man, from Grindhouse releasing. They put out a new film, a new Blu-ray, I should say, not a new film, the opposite of a new film from 1977, shot in 1974. Oh, one thing I also want to mention as well. I apologize. The interesting thing when it comes to um, getting your information from the internet or from a book. Um, uh, one thing I learned in the book was that um, I read originally that with John Cazale, who was uh, 
uh, already dying and didn't have too much longer to live when they were filming Deer Hunter, um, I read that uh, De Niro said he put up. There was a, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but there was a thing they didn't want. They didn't were worried about. It, they didn't really want him in the film for insurance reasons. Um, and De Niro said that he put up money to keep him in the film. And the book actually refutes that and says that uh, it was a totally different situation. And that's so that's that's not true at all. So interesting, man. You got to read more, man. You can't trust everything you read online. And I'm not saying that every book. It's all facts, but I'm just saying, man, I imagine I trust the guy who's writing the book more than I trust the guy who's typing it in, pressing enter, and then go having a hot dog, man, you know? Anyways, man, we're talking about Death Game. All right, 1974, released in 1977. This has a great three-lead cast in this, man. You got Seymour Cassell, you know, you remember from Minium Moskowitz and Rushmore. Oh, I love Seymour Cassell, man. He's the best. Songs were locked, talking about Clint Eastwood before, uh, with the connection there, and Colleen Camp, and... Uh, this film was remade in 2000. Well, I believe this, this actually might be a remake as well. Um, it was remade in 2015. Right, Eli Roth directed that movie Knock Knock. You had Ke- uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, Lur- uh, what the hell's her name? Lorena Izzo, I think is her name, and um, um, uh, Anna D. Armas, I think. Uh, or I don't know how to say Yeah, Anna, Anna, whatever her name is, man. Uh, anyways, man, but. This is a solid setup. You have Seymour Cassell, who uh, his wife goes away because uh, I think the the kid was sick or something like that, or she had to go from family obligations. Anyways, these two chicks, Colleen Camp and and Sandra Locke, they come into his house and um, they're kind of you know acting really flirty, persuading him, and and eventually he ends up uh, sleeping with both of them, and from there they're just a total menace on his life, and they it's a great power play. Um, this film is wild, man. I, I tell you, I, the performances in this movie, man, I mean, it's like, at times it feels like a Looney Tunes cartoon, but in a good way. Sandra Locke and Colleen Camp are totally playing it up. Sandra Locke, it looks, I mean, she's got these wide eyes in the movie. She is yelling and just acting like like a psychopath, man. And what I find funny, I don't know if this is intentional or not, man, they said that she's supposed to be 17 in the movie. Sandra Locke was about 30 when she made this damn movie, man. There ain't no way that she was supposed to be a 17-year-old. Okay, 77. So, actually, she may have probably a couple years younger, 25 or so, or 26, I'm you know, whatever. Um, ain't no way she is 17 that is more unrealistic than anything going on in this movie. Uh, Sandra Locke's a beautiful actress. You, you know her from a lot of Clint stuff. I always remember her, remember her from the outlaw Josie Wales, and... Uh, yeah, the, my favorite Dirty Harry movie, Sudden Impact. I'm a big, big fan of Sudden Impact. I love that film, man. But she is great in the film. And Seymour Cassell is dubbed the whole movie. And, man, it seems like it. I don't know what was going on with the dub in this thing, man. But they got the goddamn janitor to do it pretty much. I mean, it doesn't sound too bad at times. But I think if you already know Seymour Cassell and a lot of other films, you know what he sounds like. And even if you don't know, man, I mean, the voice just doesn't match. It really just feels kind of odd. There's one sequence in particular where he's yelling at the two of the girls because they're, um, uh, well, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but basically they're doing something very bad involving a fish tank. And uh, he's yelling at them, and man, I don't know if they used a different guy or what, but it sounds like a damn teenager. It does not sound even remotely like Seymour Cassell in the slightest. Not even someone that, it doesn't even have to, like, you know, voice totally has to sound like his. I'm fine with that, man. It's fine. Hey, man, I understand it's your job. But, man, I tell you, it, it sounded like a damn teenager. I was tell, telling a buddy of mine, and he thought the same thing. He said, what is going on in the sequence? And I tell him, man, I, I don't know. Um, 
But man, it's a fun movie. It's totally off the wall. There's a song they they play at least four or five times. I'm not going to sing it for you. But it'll get stuck in your damn head. The movie opens it in a very unique title sequence with these drawings. Look like a kid's drawing. And it's very memorable, man. I think people um, often take for granted how much of an impact the uh, title sequence of a film can really lay out the, the rest of the film and be memorable in its own right. Think of Enter the Void. Think of Lord of War. Think of these great title sequences. Uh, Watchmen. I know I'm going for kind of recent examples. These are just the ones that immediately come to mind. Um... But uh, the title sequence in this film is terrific, and um, like I said, that song gets stuck in your damn head. Um, as it goes along, it becomes more into the third act when it becomes kind of a, a, a really more of a plot, a, a sub, a, like a like a minor plot point than the plot of the film because uh, they say they're gonna they're gonna kill him. Um, that doesn't really come in until way late in the film, and even then, it, it's actually fairly brief, the resolution of that, but um, I'd be hard-pressed, man, not to talk about the ending of this film, and I'm not going to spoil it, but let me just get a cup of coffee, and I'll tell you about this wild ending, man. And there's a lot of films we watch, and you feel like they kind of ran out of time, um, or they hit you with an ending like such a gut punch that you just don't even know how to react, and man, I watched this film by myself, and the ending was happening. Uh, and, you know, I was like, okay, it's going to wrap up here. The This is happening. We're going to, you know, cut the credits or anything like that. And then something happens, man, in the last three seconds that caught me so off guard it made me laugh out loud. If I had milk, I would have, I would have, uh, uh, I would have, um, uh, uh, spat it out, man. It something happens at the end of this film. Oh my God, man. If I saw it in the audience, the audience would have tore the damn house down. They would have had to call the police to, to, to hold people back. They'd be saying, what's going on here? They'd be saying, they're tearing the house down. Did you see that ending? And I think the police would go, you're right, sir. I'll be on my way. Oh my God, man. I don't know what was going on in the ending of this movie, but it caught me so off guard and made me so happy and made me laugh so hard. Oh my gosh. It was such, <laughs> such a wild. It's like, uh, I, there's, not, there's, a, there's a film I can easily compare it to. Um, I'm not going to say what it is. Let me say it's a certain Peter Fonda movie that if you've seen it, it's a similar situation like that. You get to the end of that movie, uh, one of my favorite uh, movies, and you get to the ending and you go, oh my god, I can't believe they just ended it like that. And this is exactly what it is, man. Um, Grindhouse releasing, man. They just do an amazing job with their prints. This is a beautiful restoration that I believe was only available on a low print, a low quality DVD. I don't know how readily accessible this was before. Even when uh, Eli Roth's remake came out, I wasn't really sure how accessible this was. I hadn't seen it until now. This was a first time watch. But Grindhouse, man, in my opinion, them an indicator. No one's doing it like them. I love all the other companies. Don't get me wrong, man. But I tell you, when when probably more so with Grindhouse because they put out less. But every one of their releases, I'm, I have almost all of them. The only ones I don't have are I don't have Corruption and I don't have the DVD of Vic. And there was one other thing they put out. It was like a like a sampler, not a sampler, just like a CD thing. It was like a lot like a music thing. I'm not really sure. But I have all their other releases and and they're all top knocks. I mean, they're loaded to the brim with features. The packaging is phenomenal. I mean, it's one that you give to somebody as a gift and they they you know you're that's a film school right there, man. You don't have, and you know what? Probably cost about forty dollars. And, and um, this film, which I thought was so much fun. 
and uh, for a film that I'd heard about for a little while, not expecting much, uh, because you know, uh, 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 just because the Grindhouse put it out doesn't mean I love everything they do. Like you know, the, the I think the tough ones was the last one, and, and you know that was a pretty cool movie, man. It, it, the Polizzi Tetsi, uh, uh, however you say, Polizzi Tetsi films, they're not really for me, but it was still a cool film, man. And but this one was just such a total surprise, and I just had a lot of fun with man. Um, to my knowledge, this is coming back in uh, print because there was a limited release of about I believe two thousand units of this man uh, that came with a limited edition keychain which is a little fun thing that Grindhouse likes to do think of the um, the, the syringe needle for um, I drink your blood or the uh, controversial puzzle to pieces uh, uh, if you're if anyone was remembers that whole sc- scandal online uh, good times there but man you gotta check this one out man if you if you like really uh, claustrophobic um, uh, one location kinds of, well, mostly one location. They go outside a couple times, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun with this. This is death game. Uh, definitely worth your time. When you make coffee just right, man, there's nothing like it. When you make your own coffee, I don't, uh, I don't go to any places to get coffee, man. I've been burnt too many times. Uh, McDonald's used to have some good coffee, but you'd have to get it, like, when it was at the right like somebody, somebody right had to make it, man. I used to work, um, nights a lot and, uh, there was a McDonald's down the street that was open 24 seven. So I spent a lot of nights, uh, after work late going there and getting food and a coffee. And, um, some nights it was the best coffee I had and other nights it was just uh, an amalgamation of wasted money and cream and sugar but this coffee right here man is something else and uh, I'm very very happy to be drinking it right now which leads us into the next film I want to talk about a little more serious and I'll be a little I'll try to be more respectful when I talk about this next film because I'm going to be talking about a documentary uh, documentary I don't I don't talk enough about a doc, about documentaries in my um, probably, uh, you know, uh, one of my very favorite kinds of films. And when, uh, I always say when, when you see a, uh, seeing a great documentary is sometimes better than seeing a great film because you get so sucked into the story of it. And, um, and you find yourself going down that rabbit hole of wanting to know more and what's happened since the release of the documentary. And, um, anyways, man, controversial documentary. Uh, which is actually a kind of another, you know, I thought about doing a, a, another discussion about some controversial documentaries because, I, you know, controversial movies is one thing. You know, you hear about some films like Solo or a Serbian film, and, you know, both those are great films, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it's more about the content. Why are they controversial? Because they're extremely um, either grotesque or um, disturbing in nature, and, uh, you know, but a documentary is something else. Certain documentaries that you wonder, is it because of the content? Is it because of how it was portrayed? trade, you know, um, uh, you look at someone like Michael Moore, whose documentaries are often very controversial, either because of the film itself or because of him, and, uh, you know, I find those very interesting, and I find, um, uh, I haven't even said the title of the film yet, I'm losing it, man. I'm talking about The Bridge. This is a documentary about the Golden Gate Bridge, specifically about the um, uh, uh, the suicide jumpers of uh, who, who go to the bridge to um, kill themselves. And um, the film, uh, d- uh, over the span of a month, I believe, it, it, it filmed some crazy number, man, like 20-some-odd uh, uh, jumps 
uh, or I think 25 or some number like that. And the filmmakers, um, they focus on a couple of the people and they, we talk to their, we see their loved ones and, um, talk about, you know, kind of what, who they were as a person and, um, what led them to do such a, a heinous act of self-harm and, um, this was a film that was controversial, man, because of a couple different reasons. Um, one, because I read that uh, the filmmaker Eric Steele, apparently when he, I guess you have to have a permit to f even film like a public um, uh, monument, not a monument, like, like, a, like something like, I didn't realize you needed a, 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 a permit. Like if you wanted to film like the Statue of Liberty or for, or a documentary, for a documentary or something, I don't know how exactly that would go, but I guess... You needed one to film this, anyways, man. But he said he was he lied kind of about what he was. I'm not gonna get into the specifics about for time, um, but he lied about what exactly the footage was being used for. And actually, um, going into the controversy is that the documentary does show various um, suicides in the film, uh, jumps people jump to their death, um, and uh, right off the bat, it it, uh, it there's a man who. Um, jumps and he hits the water and that's when the title card comes up and uh and that will give you an indication of whether or not you want to continue the rest of the film it's nothing um uh uh gory or violent but it is somebody who is jumping to their death with the full intention of killing themselves and uh they talk about the aftermaths of finding the bodies and how difficult it can be sometimes and um uh this was such a uh fascinating fascinating and compelling documentary you know i think this is a film that really kind of puts things into a lot of perspective on these people's lives and um your own life on these feelings that i think we all have sometimes and uh the realities of what is um at stake here and what 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 they're doing and leaving behind and um i read an interesting um uh, reaction to the film let me finish my coffee man we'll talk about it hmm but somebody had made the point, and they said that the film wouldn't be as good, or wouldn't be, maybe not as good, that's not, that's not an appropriate kind of word to use in the context here, but um, it wouldn't be anything uh, uh, noteworthy other than the fact that it does have the filmed uh, suicides. Um, they said there's not much left in the film, and um, you know, man, I gotta, I gotta totally uh, dis disagree about that because the thing is, if you're watching this film, man, and you want to see some suicides, I hate to break it to you, but you're gonna be pretty disappointed. If you really want to watch, you can go online and watch as much as to your heart's content. As long as you're not gonna go out there and do it, if you want to watch a bunch of videos, go ahead and do it, man. But that this film is not the 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 suicides in this film are not the center point. Uh, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. The footage of the suicides is not the center point, man, because it's about the people who are lost here, and the footage is so um, uh, infrequent, and um, oftentimes um, not even not even in frame, you know. Uh, uh, so I, I don't know if people are going to see this film thinking that it's exploiting um, these people, or if the people are going to watch this like... Uh, like uh, like a shockumentary kind of film, um, you, you're not. I compare this to something like The Killing of America, man, which is another kind of film like this, and that's a film where, not like this. I'm saying in terms of of, of content to um, 
to uh, uh, the, the, the actual point of the film where The Killing of America, it has real footage of death, it has real footage of murder, but that's not the film. It's about the violence, the, the rising of violence in America. I've heard people say, oh, it's a film about gun violence or it's a film about serial killers. It's like, man, you're so wrong, you didn't even watch the film. It's about the rising of the violence in America up until that point. And even the final line of the film, I'm not going to say what it is, partially because I don't real fully remember the exact line, I don't want to butcher it, but it's, it hits home you, you it goes man in terms of um, a famous celebrity death killing of america by the way is also a terrific documentary uh that is i highly recommend but this film is much more about the emotion um, behind what leads these people to do it and there's one um interview they do in the film that really hit hard man and they interview somebody who um uh uh, uh, um, didn't die when they jumped off the bridge. They had they went to go kill themselves and they lived. And the story that he tells about he he jumped off and the second he did he regretted it. And and what's going through your mind as you're slow as you're um as you're plummeting to your death. You're seeing your death come rushing at you. And I think that's such a horrifying thought. But they talk about. Um, how uh, easy it is because once you take that step, man, there's no going back. And uh, it's not, you know, so they, we see people who kind of go back and forth and ah, do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? We've, we follow this one person who um, is kind of the uh, wraparound of the film, this rocker kind of guy who um, ends up capping off the film in a, in a, uh, and we, you know, we find out, we, we know that he ends up dying. He ends up killing himself, and and it puts into we follow him the whole film. You know, we jump back and forth here and there. We see his uh, family. We see one of his close friends talk about what was going on, man. And then at the end of the film, um, one we he gets he has the um, most in frame suicide. Um, there ain't there ain't no missing it, man. I mean, there it's got two angles too, which is even crazier. Um, but one the shocking. Um, um, visual content of the way that he one that he kills himself and two the way that he does it it, it very um, after everything you just saw it it really just kind of it's a gut punch and two because we've gotten to know him throughout the last hour and a half that it makes that hit even harder um, seeing him go and I think that's what I don't I I, tr I can't get behind people who will say that this film was exploitive or people will say that without the actual suicide footage that there's not much there. I have to wholeheartedly disagree because you could still have those same shots but just not show them uh, the, the people committing the act. And I think you would... I mean, maybe some impact would be lost visually, man, because you're not getting that actual impact of the suicide, but you are getting knowing that uh, in a couple seconds after that footage cut, that person was gone, man. Um, this was, this is less about why people do it at this specific Golden Gate Bridge and more about why people, um, these certain people have done it. And it's a fascinating, heartbreaking film. And I, I, these kinds of documentaries are, I think, the strongest to see. Issues that may seem difficult or we don't want to talk about it or confront it, I think, make for the best and most um, startling uh, films that will change your life. You know, you see a great film that can change your life. You see a, a good documentary that can change your life, man. And I don't... Um, I don't watch any of the Netflix uh, stuff. I'm I'm a, I'm a movie guy. I don't care about no miniseries or TV series. I don't watch any of that, man. My time is precious, and I want to watch it. I want to use it watching movies and working on my art. Um, 
but I've oh, I've heard about that making a murderer or how to make a what's that show called making a murderer and um, the the outcome of that to real life and uh, I know that Tiger King show was really popular um, and it's it, that's what great documentaries do man is that it it, it bleeds into the real world and it and it puts an impact on the people involved's life and your life man. I thought about doing something where I talk about some controversial documentaries because I was looking at a list, man, and I was surprised at how many I had seen. I think there's a couple big ones I hadn't seen. I still uh, want to see The Act of Killing and the, the Look of Silence. I've heard those two are phenomenal documentaries. I don't know why I haven't seen those yet, but a lot of the big ones I've seen, Titicut Follies, um, uh, Earthlings, you know, a lot of these ones that people talk about as most disturbing or most controversial, Nanook of the North. Um, I would love to talk about sometime, and maybe I will, man, I, I don't know, but I feel like these kind of films are not, um, the, the, the content, I guess like any controversial film or book or any kind of art, the, 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 the content overshadows the quality, for, you know, in terms, of, in terms of, oh, this film is so extreme, you know, oh, they cut this guy's eye out and they did this, well, how's the film, man? I mean, it's a film, it's not real, you know, it's special effects, you know, so when you get films like, um, I don't know, man. Like I said before, like Solo or Serbian film, which I think are both phenomenal films in their own right. People go, oh, they're just extreme films. They're just, there's no content there. They're just extreme. It's like, man, you might, you didn't even watch the movie. You were so focused on the surface level, you couldn't even look beneath it, man. And that's your fault. But anyways, man, I'm going off on a tangent. I tell you, today, this was a very productive conversation. And I hope that you check out one or both of these films, man. Death Game and The Briggs, two very different kinds of films, but the power of cinema, man. One of these films gave me a good time, made me laugh, and made me happy. And the other film made me think and made me really kind of reflect about a lot of my own life and a lot of the challenges that I've faced. And, and you know, the, the, the courage that we all have to keep on going, man, no matter how bad things get, um... It's, I, I think it's I think cinema is important to really kind of make us look within and and and, and think back and, and um, look at ourselves but anyways man I'm not gonna go off on a tangent there so anyways guys that's all I gotta say man I'm gonna get myself some more coffee I hope you all have a very productive day a very productive weekend a very productive week don't waste it use your use your uh, creative passions to work on your art and enjoy the rest of your day.